What you're about to hear comes from a class I took on God, scripture, and violence and wrote four homilies on that topic. This is the third homily, Christ, violence, and scripture. What we have discussed up to now is the innate tendency within humanity for a bent inclination toward violence that gives way to societal structures and frameworks that create systems in which violence is continually perpetuated. However, no matter how hard one may try in their strength and power, what they do can never fully subdue such violence as their own violent tendencies will eventually give way if not addressed. Such confrontation cannot come from anyone or anything outside of oneself, as they cannot fully resolve the issues as they too have unaddressed violent tendencies. Thus, as one is left broken, this continual cycle leaves many without hope. Yet, what is needed to resolve such perpetual violence is one's singular act of violence by one, meaning Christ, who is without brokenness. Who other than God himself taking on human flesh, residing among his creation, ushering in a new era that results in a restorative process from the hill of Calvary can bring about such change. What happens on the cross nearly two millennia ago was the grace of God meeting humanity's violent nature, thus exposing the lie that such violence promulgated. As the first Adam created this dissonance within humanity, the second Adam Adam, Jesus reconnected humanity with the Spirit of God, no longer held under death's power. As we discussed in the first homily, God is the one who commanded and carried out the harem, defined as the removal of any form of identity other than that of Yahweh. So too now with Christ, he is the one who brings about such change. Just as it was in antiquity, so too is it now that we cannot enact the harem in our own power and strength. Christ on Calvary revealed the violence innate within human nature, and by embracing such violence on the cross, he became a suffering servant, bringing the God as warrior motif from the Old Testament to full fruition as God himself triumphs over evil by dying and resurrecting. Yet the gospel does not stop at the death and resurrection of Christ, but through his ascension and Pentecost, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can now raise humanity from their death. The same spirit that overcame the violence of humanity with Christ is now seeking to make the human body his temple. This good news does not do anyone much good if they choose not to receive and enter into the free gift that he offers. Yet, just as it was in the beginning, so too is it now that the spirit is hovering over the chaos and messiness that is found in one's life, looking to be invited into it. In one's reception of Christ and the Spirit, they then become empowered to live out their lives in a different way. But this brings up the question, how is one to live? Through the cross, Jesus not only reconciled creation back to Creator, but also introduced humanity to another way of life. Revealing through statements like, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, Jesus shifts humanity's state of mind when it comes to the idea of what the good life is. The death and grief that faced all people 
were embraced by God who suffered with his creation, not so death and grief would be eradicated in this life, as we all know it is not. But rather, we now have a God who knows what sin is like to the point of death, though he himself did not sin, and he is then able to suffer with us, leading us, however, in the way everlasting. This new way of life is possible by the work of Christ through the Spirit by the process of sanctification that takes place within an individual, resulting in a peace throughout. Charles Finney states that sanctification is a state of consecration towards God in which the whole being of a person is set apart towards the divine. The Spirit of God was poured out on the day of Pentecost, but it is the continued work of the Spirit through the process of sanctification that the will of God is then carried out to all people. What we can see is that the Jews followed the law of God, yet without the Spirit's sanctifying work, they missed it. So too did the Gentiles follow their own form of law and justice based on what they deemed fit. And even then, without the Spirit's sanctifying work, they too miss the holistic peace that God offers. Thus, by looking at Christ, we see that one must go through a violently redemptive process that is not based on religious laws, nor by one's desires, but Christ, who fulfilled the law and realigns our desires. We come then into the fullness of life. How one is to embark on this journey and process is by faith, yet it is not a faith in some abstract lofty idea, but rather a faith that carries with it practical ways to live. The spiritual and physical are not mutually exclusive, nor are they opposed to one another, but they are to complement one another. Therefore, as the Spirit of God begins to revive that which is internal, that which is external, meaning how one lives, is to be changed through practices or habits by which one engages in. A danger many might fall into is that they become so heaven focus that they negate the moments in the here and now. Yet, if Jesus showed us anything, it was how to be aware and present in the current moment. Though we live within this earthly kingdom, we are to pray that heaven invades the space around us through us. Therefore, the greatest evangelism tool for Christianity are the lives lived by the church. Thus, as one repents, turning away from the way in which they used to live, they engage through what we may consider liturgical practices as a sustaining way to grow into a life that Christ calls them to partake in. To understand the liturgy, one must move past what they may stereotypically think of when the word comes to mind and realize that we all partake in liturgical practices. Christian or not. Once gaining this awareness, whatever connotations you may hold regarding liturgy, begin to ease as we realize that we partake in it in some fashion, thus making it easier to reorient such processes to bring us into a deeper union with Christ and one another. Furthermore, such a process is not done in isolation, but in a community to where there are safeguards in place as we all are accustomed to falter on this journey. As habits begin to form and our appetite for sin begins to subside, we find the journey back home, back to peace, one that at times feels lonely, but one that is not without each other as well as Christ who has gone before us, paving the way. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on weekly releases and be sure to share it with a friend if you think they'll be interested in this content. Until next time, grace and peace.